Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa la aqibatul al-mutaqeen, wa la ujbana illa ala al-zalimeen, wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wa al-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla, wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'ra sahla, Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik ya Rabbil Kareem. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Right, folks, uh, I hope everybody's well. Um, I kind of feel that last week that we, um, I think I got sucked in too much to the fact that, you know, people obviously faced up with uh, the whole chapter of traveling, which is always a favorite with people. There's so many questions, so confusing, so many different opinions. And so as soon as we started, we just started taking in too many different kind of angles and, and I think I kind of lost track and didn't cover some of the kind of more, it wasn't very structured, I, I kind of feel that. When I kind of look back and I think to myself, um, did we cover uh, stuff? Did I mention to you that the mile is something which is not a, um, did I mention the word mile is different yeah. in different languages, different people, cultures, historically? You referred to something that's a little bit over a mile. That's what I said. Yeah, so I want to I wanna double down on that because I think that is important as part of the overall appreciation of the fiqh of this issue, right? Because if you remember towards, I guess, I kind of, we finally got to making the point towards the end just how flexible this is and then we were kind of throwing out examples and people were saying that's a travel, that's not a travel. And when you've got the ability to be able to just do that, it's almost automatically indicating that there is some kind of level of ease intrinsic within the system. So I want to add to that, but I want to add to it in a more structured fashion. So we said that it's uh, the uh, let's go with a let's go with an attempt at a translation. Uh, we didn't even have the Arabic, do we? Not even the Arabic, yeah. I don't think so. All right. So the. Uh, Again, I haven't got a text for this. I haven't got a text for this just yet. Frankly, we're, we're, we're spending the first couple of days, maybe even the next week as well, on just two lines, because there's a lot of content to cover just in those initial statements. But anyway, so the chapter is the Fi Qasr Salat al-Musafir, or the uh, um, shortening of the prayer of the traveler. Whoever undertakes a journey, a permissible journey, of the distance of four burud, plural, singular barid, um, distance-wise, it is the sunnah for him to shorten the four units to two units. And I think that's what I would have translated last week. And I think that we won't go past that again today either. But if we do, إِذَا فَارَقَ عَامِرَ قَرْيَتِهِ أَوْ خِيَامَ قَوْمِهِ If and as long as he leaves behind the inhabited areas of his town, village, area, or the tents of his people, their setup, their settlement, their camp, the tents of his camp. Yeah, that's probably good. But we're not going to get to that. All right. 
Now, we spoke about this idea of what safar is conceptually, the word itself. And I really think it's useful to understand this idea that when something becomes, when there's isfar that occurs, the situation has become clear and obvious and bright and undoubted. And that linguistic little gem really helps us to understand that you've got to be kind of moving out of the norm of your comfort zone and your hidden zone and your getting away with whatever you normally get away with zone. And that once you're out of your comfort zone, that's when we're exposed to the rigors and the realities of travel, which are normally a headache and, you know, everything that comes with it. There's just always discomfort with whatever form of travel that you take. I think I, I look back to the last 10 days, I've traveled on every major way other than an animal, right? In the last just 10 days, so it's like super fresh in my mind, of all classes, like really bustle busy, bus, uh, very basic train, an empty train, I just, came up back on, I just came up on an empty train, being driven, driving, plane, both classes, upgraded, didn't upgrade, everything. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, every single aspect of those journeys was a pain in the backside. Some way or the other. Either because I was alone, or because I was cold, or because I was uncomfortable, or because the seat wasn't reclining, or because there was too many people speaking too loudly, or whatever. And that's when we spoke about the fact that when you're taken out of that comfort zone, people get to know you, you get to know yourself, the situation is now absolutely clear. That isfar, that safar, linguistically, of now becoming clear, I think is a really beautiful way of understanding the concept. All right, that's fine. The problem is, but it's not a problem actually, the blessing I should say, is that neither Allah and neither did the Messenger وسلم, specify the distance that is required for that to be achieved. We go further. In his actions and the actions of the companions and their statements and then the actions and statements of the Salaf, we see enough laxity and variance in the practice of this act to indicate that this is a feeling, a mood, a vibe and the like. Which is great to give to a responsible group of adults. It's not good to give to a group of Pakis today. They all bottle it. And they're like, listen, as we said last week, isn't it? We said that, don't give us all this authority. Just tell us 49 miles. Tell us 80 kilometers. Let's give us a figure. Let's keep it simple. Tell us how many days. Let's keep it simple. I got a phone call from one of my uh, very good friends. He coaches the England uh, under-19 cricket team. I mean, just look at this. Yeah, he's a senior guy. He's like about 40 years old. And uh, used to play cricket for England back in the day. And um, he goes to me that um, they, they've just arrived in India. And he says to me that um, a player, one of the Muslim players, has come. And the camp is for 20, uh, 20 days, I want to say. 21 days. Yeah, 21 days, he said. And he said to me that um, the, 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 one, of the, one of the players, one of the ones that he's training has come. And he said, yeah, I'm praying for um, because we're staying here for 21 days and 15 days is my limit 
So, but I'm not sure. I think what I do is that I pray shortened prayers for 15 days. And then from day 15 to day 21, I pray the full prayers. That's how it's going to go. And I thought that I was meant to be just praying the Qasr prayer all the way. And we're in one location and we're not moving uh, anywhere. We're not going anywhere. So I was back and forth with him, trying to understand, you know, his living conditions, his, where they'll be training every day. Is it touring the country? No, just one ground, back, back and thingy. And this base here, 21 days, going to play, play back, 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 like that. And uh, in the end, I told him to correct the, 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 the kid, or the, the, the young man, the young lad, whatever, so that he actually follows what he believes to be the Hanfi opinion, which is that he should be praying full from day one, if that's the opinion that he is uh, following, and it's a valid one, yeah? It has no evidence whatsoever, just like our position has no evidence whatsoever. Our position, I said to him that you can pray Qasr all the way, don't worry, for the whole 21 days. The nature of the way that you're getting food and security and eggs and why, and you know, out of this hotel, living out of a bag, blah, blah, blah. This is as journey as it gets, as musafir as it gets, as whatever. It's not just my parents, by the way, that when they want to like show a bit of love to you, they say, ah, miskin, musafir. Yeah? Musafir is used as a bichara phrase, isn't it? Yes? It's a pack thing, isn't it? Right? So instead of saying bichara, they say musafir, bacha, whatever. So it is, even in, the, even in culture we understand that the word musafir means that he's going through some kind of mission. Right? So there's absolutely no doubt, being in a hotel room is azab in itself. I don't care what luxury or penthouse you're living in. It's an azab it is to be away from home, 100%. Anyway, so... Um, the fact that the time, three days, four days, 20 prayers, 15 days, 14 days, the distance, 48, 50, 38, 58 miles, I've not even got it to kilometers, kilometers, 77, 78, 80, 82, 88, no distance in terms of kilometers, but just the distance between Jeddah and Mina, which is about 80 odd kilometers, that used to be the opinion of Umar or that's what he gave as a statement. All of these indicate that there is nothing clear from the Prophet ﷺ. Anas in Hadith Bukhari, he said that I was with the Prophet ﷺ and he prayed two raka'ah when he traveled three miles and he prayed two raka'ah when he traveled three farsakh. And we covered last week that farsakh is how many miles? One farsakh. Anyone remember? No. Four miles, right? And was it three miles? I think it's three miles. Sorry, it is three miles. Sixteen. Twenty, uh, twelve. Yeah, th three miles. But three what miles? Three Hashimi miles. Right? So I was looking into this a little bit. You know that there is a Hashmi mile, there's an Umayyad mile, there's an Uthmani mile, there's a, the Persians, where the word Farsakh comes from in its thingy, you know the word Farsakh? It's the English equivalent of the word league, 
I don't know if you ever remember back in the days. What's the uh, thingy leagues under the sea? What's that called? What's the book called? Leagues under the sea? Isn't it? Yeah? Yeah. So the leagues itself is actually the actual word farsakh, right? So this is now moving into the area of politics. And again, what we've got here, and the fact that they can get away with that indicates, again, another sense of the flexibility of the subject. I mean, they couldn't get away with, you know, of my version of Fajr, your version of Fajr, that version. Fajr is Fajr, right? But when it comes to distances and things like that, yeah, I'm not going to lie. There must be some advancement in technology in the way that they were measuring distances as well. So you look at each Khalifa, you know that historically, I don't look at the, the time now. Back, back in the day, we were world leaders in literally everything, especially math, right? And so it wasn't just a case of, you know, just let the, the, the ummah, you know, get, get, get in with the, just do what they do. The, the, the khulafa, I mean, 200 years, 500 years, 600 years, were like, we need the whole circumference of the earth done. We need to measure the distances of this done. We need to understand the movements of sun, earth. We need to work out, blah, blah. Like, they were on it, proper, right? And you, so, so, so there's no doubt that there was, an, an, uh, there was, a, there was a, a love of science and, and technology, and they wanted to go for that. But also there is the politics of it. People want their name and their, their authority to be remembered, right? It matters. And when people kind of, and we see that all the time. We say, in, in our ummah right now, we see that a lot. And I mean, it's unfair to always pick on Saudis, but you know, let's go anyway. But um, they're the easiest example. Each one trying to outdo the predecessor feel a little bit of, you know, everybody recognizes this as Fahad Gate, Fahad Gate, Fahad Gate. Well, you know what, we're going to make Abdullah Gate. It's going to be twice as big. You know what I'm saying? This is a standard system of people, and they want to be remembered, and they want it to be kind of recorded forever. Um, there's a measurement. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to trust Wikipedia on this, okay? Um, which isn't the best of, of principles. But if we go with... The, the concept of the mile, yeah? So for example, there's a, there's a mile called a statute mile. The word statute mile is basically official mile. And that's what's used in modern day UK and America and it's one point, uh, I wanna say six. Uh, one second, I wanna say such a nice table I found. Yeah, here it is. It's 1.609 kilometers. So 1,609 kilometers. Yeah? That's the, that is the, the, the UK, intern, uh, uh, that's the UK and US statute official mile. And most English countries as well. But just to give you an idea, the Roman mile, which was one of the very first early miles that they're measuring, was 1.48 kilometers. The London mile, which was early, early times, was 1.524 kilometers, right? The Persian mile was 1,500 
the nautical mile, which is an international actual fixed standard. So a nautical mile is a, a standard which the whole world accepts, and they call it a nautical mile, is 1.852 kilometers. The Uthmani mile was 1.894. Now, the reason I want to speak about the Uthmani for a second is that the Hashimi and Umayyad and Uthmani and then later Turkish, when they wanted to become secular non-religious, so the Turks went with 1.853, they reduced it a little bit, okay? Um, all of them are between 1.8 and 2 kilometers. So they are approximately 20% more than a normal mile. So basically our miles, if we're going to be accurate, is 1.2 miles, the miles that we understand. So whenever we see in the text of fiqh, I'm making this as a general statement, not an accurate one. But when you see reference to thalathata amyal, right, or meal, which is the, the two phrases that are used in fiqh, talking about the mile and three miles, the mile that is used in fiqh is referring to about 1.2 normal miles that we understand. Now, if we say that the farsakh is three of these miles, yeah, you know, like everybody knows, let's do that some now, that the traveling distance is 48 miles, right? 3 times 16, all right? Now, 48 times 1.2, 57.6. If we're going to get really accurate about what that miles is, those are 48 Hashimi miles. So now all the people that have been going to Leeds and doing Qasr, and their life has now fallen apart because I've just told them, actually, that's not Qasr distance. You need to do more than 50 miles and 49 miles. You need to do 57.6 miles. You don't want to hear that information, bro. But that's actually what we're talking about. Shaz, no more yani buzzing for you, bro. I have no problem. You have no problem, Shaz. You know what? I found a section. Why can't my badge on the booty? Yeah? It's done. That's the difference, Yara. You see that? You guys don't care about. <laughs> and then people are telling me that it's 1.2 miles and. Yeah, If it's 10 miles, I'm doing it. That is the fiqh right there. It's true, right? It's true. Like, on what authority are we going to go with 57.6 miles? It's an estimation. It's literally like a physical measurement and the like. So I want you to be aware of these variations to almost, if you like, reduce the tension around having to insist it's got to be a mileage figure. As I said, that's not actually going to help as many people as we think. It's only going to stress more people out. Because like their magic figure of 50 miles has now disappeared. It's almost like we're, we're forcing people to take ownership. And you know what? I think that we, I think that we need to, um, I do think that we need a lot to, uh, to empower people to be more confident about things. I honestly don't think that's a bad thing. I completely empathize with how confusing it can be. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think it's a bad thing that people start to have to activate themselves more and think about their deen more and, you know, take things back to principles, for example. 
oh, you know what it is, I'm not sure. So you know what, I'll just stick to doing the, the, the normal prayer because the asal, the default position, is to pray in full. You know, applying these religious principles is actually increasing your, your, your knowledge. It's increasing yani, your, 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 your skin in the game. All right. So, Sheikh says, um, kind of on page 352, although Mesa reckons we're on 54, but I don't think so. Um, he basically, Sheikh says, there's no had, there's no limit. In Sahih Muslim, Anas said that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he would, would leave the, his home uh, to go on a distance of three amyal, three miles, all three farasikh, he would pray two units, narrated by uh, uh, Imam Muslim. Hadith number 691. Sheikh goes, I mean, if you compare three farsakh or farasikh to 16, which is what, what people are obligating, it's a massive difference. And it's a tiny percentage, you know, nine compared to, or 10 compared to 48 or 50 or 57.6. That's a good point. So the correct position is that there is no distance, there is no specific, specified, Minimum distance. And this all goes back to Urf. How the people understand it. And I think I mentioned last week that the easiest way to understand it is that when you go out and you think you're traveling, then you're traveling. And that's a valid travel as long as there is no consensus to the contrary. When everybody says, bro, behave. How the fish is that traveling? Then it's not traveling. But if there's even a, two people that's a, you know what I mean, he's got a point. Yeah? Then there's no ijma. then. There is no consensus to the contrary, and we're good to go. And I think that this is a very useful, workable kind of model. Sheikh Uthameen says, however, Sheikh Al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahmahullah, he said that there's a bit more nuance to this as well. He goes, in my opinion, it is possible that a very long distance that is traveled for a very short time is a travel, is safar and to stay a very long time or to, not very long time, safar, to stay a significant long time in a short distance is also a journey so therefore Sheikh says that we can therefore put this into four categories did we cover this last week? no Therefore, we can put this into four categories. Page 353. He goes, number one, long time, long distance. He goes, nobody argues about that. Everyone agrees on that concept. And that's like someone, if they go in a plane from Riyadh, Qasim, to Mecca, miles and miles, and they stay for 10 days. That's a long distance, long time. This is a proper journey. All right? That's number one, category one. Category two, Mudda Qasira fi Musafa Qasira, a short stay not far away from your home. Short distance. Short stay, short distance. He goes, This isn't this isn't travel. So he goes, if someone, for example, leaves Urnaza and goes to Bureida, the difference the distance between Urnaza and Bureida, this is all the areas of the Najd. If you've ever heard of the the phrase the, the phrase Najd towards uh, Riyadh in this area, kind of conservative side and the scholarly side of Saudi Arabia. This is about 30, 30, 30 miles? Yeah. 30, 
yeah, miles, 40 kilometers. Yeah? So he goes, this isn't, this isn't a, this is not yani, to be considered. Short stay, short distance. It's a drive there and back. In today's time, from a, a Manchester point of view, it would probably be a Huddersfield, right? Well, how far is Huddersfield? Did we, did we, I think I mentioned Huddersfield last week. What did we say? Oldham wouldn't be, for example. Ah, excuse me, it's miles away. 50 miles. Jewsbury. Ross, bro, it's miles away. Bro, Huddersfield is like what, 20 miles? 30. Now, Halifax is fire. Halifax sounds far. Yeah, so I was right then. Huddersfield is no way 30 miles. Bro, you're coming from Chalton, bro. From here, if we jump onto the 60, what is it, 30 odd miles? I don't know. Oldham is what? 15? 18. That's far, isn't it? What, closer? 18 sounds far, doesn't it? 18 don't sound right. Is it? 15, 18, yeah? 35. Yeah, you see, Huddersfield would be the one that, you know, is up in the air, whatever. But no, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with Huddersfield. I wouldn't comfortable. I, Sheffield, maybe, I don't know. Um, Oldham, definitely not. Ashton, definitely not. What other places? Bury, not. All right, so, yeah, okay. So go outside Greater Manchester, what we're looking at. Stoke, for example, I feel like it's a different universe. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's the, the short and short. The third category, مُدَّ طَوِيلَ فِي مُسَافَ قَصِيرَ بِمَعْنَى So he goes, this is really good. This is very interesting. This is where it gets interesting. Third category is a long time. And long time does not mean, by the way, months. Long time means longer than a day, by the way. Right? He's not there for just one hour or two hours. Right? So a long time, a short distance away. And the distance is, means he's left his home. This is fascinating for me, this one. So he goes, so for example, he goes to a place which is not considered his town. Right? For those who are students of the Arabic language, balad means land, but here it means his actual area. Right? His village, his town, his, his whatever. Yeah? It doesn't mean the country, obviously. Right? وَلَيْسَ مِنْهَا يعني, He's not from this kind of area. It's not where his home is. It's not his actual kind of uh, uh, town, but it's kind of out. But he stays there two or three days. So that's like going to Bury for two, three days. No, no, that's Greater Manchester. Well, even that could be argued. Because, I mean, are we talking Cheadle here? Or are we talking Manchester? It'd be Manchester. So... What's the closest place outside of Manchester? Bolton's good. Although Bolton is greater Manchester as well. Yeah, it is, yeah. Rossendale is fire. Blackburn's miles away. Exactly. You're like big 30s, 40 odd miles away. What's the closest place outside the thingy? Middlewich? Huh? Stoke is miles away, bro. Middlewich. 
Macclesfield. Macclesfield's good. That's because you live on the edge of Macclesfield, Mr. Posh guy. Yeah? We're not talking about the, we're not talking about the people who live in the Shire, okay? We're talking about people who live in Manchester. Right? So, um, Macclesfield's good. Yeah, Mazita says Macclesfield. I, I think that, that, that that's good. Now, let's go with Macclesfield. Macclesfield is not far at all. It's 20 minutes, actually, because I went there the other day. 20 minutes. If I go there for two, three days, bro, I'm the Musafir of Musafirs there, bro. I'm telling you straight, right off the bat. And that's what he says. He goes, he goes, so look, he, he gave the example of Urnaza to Bureyda. And in the first example he said, the person goes from Urnaza to Bureyda, right? That's no way is that a, uh, a safar. He answered that in point two. But he, he said in point three, if you go from Urnaza to Bureyda and stay there for two, three days, Urnaza and Bureyda are completely separate areas. They're cities, actually. They're separate cities, right? They're not even separate towns. They're separate cities. But he's gone there for two, three days. So... Uh, this is Musafir. He goes, he's a Musafir. The fourth one is a short distance, uh, short time of stay, but miles away. So for example, someone who goes from Al-Qasim to Jeddah and, uh, and comes back. That's 870 kilometers, by the way. It's miles, an eight-hour drive, right? So he goes there, Attends his meeting for one hour, jumps back on the plane, comes back. He goes, this is Musafir. This is, this is Safar. Okay? Now the Sheikh says, what if there's a dispute amongst the people about uh, thingy? What if there is um, a dispute that the people are saying, no, that's not, that's not like we are. What happens then? He goes, what we what we will go back to is two usul, two principles. The first principle, What is safar? It is leaving your place of residence. So if you've left your place of residence, then by definition, you are musafir. That's the first principle. The second principle is the opposite. That the default position is that a person's a resident and that journeying has to be proven. And in the absence of clearly proving that you are a journeyman or you are a journeying or you are a traveler, it goes back to default position, which is that you are a resident. Sheikh says that these are two defining principles of the game, but the second one is clearly the stronger and the safer position. So Sheikh says, and he concludes, he goes, وَعَلَى هَذَا And so based upon this, فَنَقُولُ فِي مِثْلِ هَذِي الصُّورَةِ الْإِحْتِيَاتُ أَنْ تَثِمْ That in this kind of situation where there's a difference of opinion about amongst the people and they're kind of debating and arguing, then basically it's best that you keep your prayers complete. And that's the safest and the most cautious position to follow. Because... The default is that whatever you do, wherever you go, the default position is that you're at home or you're resident or whatever until it's become clear and everybody's happy that you are actually a Musafir. I like that. Yes. What about the airport? Is it traveling on 
Yep. Oh, that's coming. That's coming. What you're asking about is when does it start? Yeah. Yeah. And that's coming up in its right time. Yeah. 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 From so from to, so from Manchester to Liverpool is forty, and then from uh, Liverpool to Ormskirk is fifteen. Yeah, and and fifteen to Ormskirk miles, and then you came straight back, and that's about forty as well. And that's the problem of using the mileage system. If we stick to the mileage system, technically, you you could see that this is not safar. If you stick to some kind of mileage system, I think that you did the right thing. There's ease in this religion, indeed. I think you did the right thing because I think that's what that's what makes sense. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, hundred percent. And here's the thing: you're thinking that's a good thing, right? I'm being religious in the summer, right? Because I've got more time. The real issue here, the reason that I, I, this causes me to get concerned, and everybody obviously goes through this, is that instead of being rewarded for our caution and our desire to do the best, safest thing, which is exactly what I would do and everyone else would do when you know that you've got like, you know, until six o'clock or whatever to pray asr or whatever. Uh, to pray Zohar, for example. So you've got plenty of time and not stressed, worried or anything. And you can pray outside and it's chilling and it's hot and whatever. So you think, yeah, I'm going to do this. The question is that then in the cold and in the winter and the short days, what is actually driving the decision to shorten? And if it becomes the mission of the prayer times, that's now flaky kind of ground. Meaning that, meaning that the irony... This is the classic irony, meaning that to stick to shortening in the summertime is the more religiously sound and safe position than actually not taking the concession, which we're going to come to because is it even a concession? Yeah. Yes. Sure. Oh, that's something different. That's something different. That's when you when you say that no, I didn't pray too because I actually was able to get home. Then you're not cheating the system at all. You actually did what you're obliged to do anyway. Yeah, rather than now, is that something which is better? I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't believe so because there's no doubt that to pray in the earlier time is the is the right thing to do. And if you have the valid excuse concession reason to pray two units in its right time it needs to be offered this is actually a lot deeper than many people think for example imagine so this is a question which i i don't think sheikh uthameen will cover right alihi rahmatullah but the scenario comes when a person doesn't pray right or not good of his prayers and he messes up and he basically or, or he's good with his prayers and he just, you know, completely forgets. And he remembers like two days later. So that prayer now needs to be made up. 
It's a qada that has to be done as per the hadith of let him pray as soon as he wakes up or as soon as he remembers it. Now, if you are traveling for those two days, what is it that you make up? And you remember when you got home. So you're at home now. And then you remembered that I didn't pray dhuhr on the day that I was traveling. Do you owe Allah two units or you, do you owe Allah four units? And you remember that at home. What do you think? See, this is the problem with this topic. We're all over the place, you see. I'm jumping here, jumping there. Four? Because you remember that at home. That's the position of the majority of scholars. I want to say, and I haven't looked at this for years, but I think Abu Hanifa, I think he said, and certainly like some scholars, I just can't remember who the big one was. And I want to say Abu Hanifa, but he said, absolutely not. Absolutely two rakah. I'm pretty sure it is Abu Hanifa actually. It's two units that you owe because of the exact same hadith. The hadith says that let him pray as soon as he remembers it. Pray what? The prayer that he missed. What was the prayer that he missed? The two units that was the one that he was meant to pray and didn't pray. And that's what he needs to pray. Let him pray it. Not let him pray dhuhr. Not let him pray whatever. Let him pray it, the missed prayer. What was the missed prayer? A prayer that was offered when it was only obligated as two units, etc. Then it gets even more complicated. person will say, well, hold on. Right? This is not actually the original prayer. The prayer was in a concessive or concession, concession, whatever, state. Yeah? Concessioned. That's right. I knew you were somewhere else close. Concessioned state. Well, then the response is going to be, no, that's the asl. Remember we spoke about that? That actually, that is the original state of what the prayer is. It was two units and then it was increased for the people at home. Put that argument out again, Abu Hanifa will say, that who told you that it was a concession? I obligate qasr. That's the crazy thing, by the way. When you think of today, just, you know, your standard kind of, you know, put your hand up, what do you think? When you put your hand up and think, who are the group of people you can be as... You can make it color-based, ethnic-based, culture-based. But if you were to put your hand up and say, who are the people who are most reticent and least likely to do qasr prayer? Who are they? Pakis. Right? All the Paks. All the Desis, Bengalis, the Indians, the Gujis, the Paks, basically. Right? All the Hanafis. All the Hanafis. Because honestly, they have no idea about what the actual Hanafi position actually is. Actually, in the Hanafi school, it's the only madhab, the only madhab that obligates qasr. They said it's not a concession. And I'm sure you've heard this discussion before because of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he said this is a sadaqah that Allah has given, so accept it. And this is one of the arguments they said that, we are going to cover that later on, but... but uh, um, how can a person ever turn, back, turn down something which is charity from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I remember Ibn Taymiyyah saying something like, can you imagine people that would turn away from something that Allah gives them as a gift? Tell me how is that people not going to get destroyed? Which is a sick line. But anyway, the majority of scholars are of the opinion that it's only a sunnah. Right? And therefore, whenever there's a problem or is there any doubt, whenever there's an issue, it's a concession. You take it, you don't take it, no problem. Yep. So all of these little legal decisions they have an impact later on in the making up of how you understand what it is that you've, uh, that you've either missed or uh, what you've uh, uh, done. Anyway, um, so 
354 then, it is sunnah for that person, sunnah lahu It is a sunnah to uh, uh, reduce or shorten the four unit prayers to two rak'ah. Sheikh now speaks about this, he normally does. We normally cover this every couple of years. It's a good reminder about the word sunnah. And he says that the sunnah uh, has a different meaning uh, with the uh, fuqaha and in the and also it has a different meaning uh, according to the Sahaba and to the Salaf. And when it comes to the Salaf and the Sahaba and the early Muslims, the word Sunnah is more Aqidah based. It's more methodology based. It's more system based. It's more about you are upon the deen, you are upon the way, you are upon guidance if you follow the Sunnah. It's not a technical term that is referring to an action which you are rewarded for if you do and you are not punished for if you leave, which is a technical definition of the fuqaha, of the jurists. So to go back to the first meaning then, as per the Sahaba and the Salaf, it means uh, that which the Prophet ﷺ used to do. Whether it was obligatory, we still call it sunnah, or whether it was recommended, we still call it sunnah. Because we're speaking about it in a holistic way. This guy's on the sunnah. This person's upon the sunnah. He understands this deen proper and he does what the Prophet ﷺ does. It now is not talking about its legal status. We're talking about its system, methodological kind of reality. And that's why then Sheikh gives some examples. He said, and from that is the example of Anas ibn Malik an, when he said, Mines sunnah. It is from the sunnah that when a virgin is married, as opposed to the uh, widow, that she gets seven nights. Yes, seven nights. We covered this hadith, I think. Yeah, in, in uh, lots of detail many years ago. فَهَذِهِ sunnah, Sheikh Uthameen says, wajiba. This, is, this word sunnah that Anas has said is from the sunnah. It doesn't mean that this is something recommended. It is obligatory. So if a person is married to a wife and then uh, gets married to... Uh, the the marriage, for example, marries two women. One's uh, thayyib, one's uh, the the virgin. Three nights, seven nights, and it's obligatory to give to her unless she foregoes it, unless she lets it go. That's her job to do that. From your side, you have to give seven nights. Yeah, and so this is not sunnah meaning recommended or we're just telling you to. It's obligatory. But the word sunnah means that this is how you follow the way of the Prophet And Sheikh says, and also the statement of Ibn Abbas anhuma, when he was asked about a person who prays with the Imam who is a resident and he prays four rak'ah with that person and then he, he was asked, and what if he prays by himself? Should he pray two units? Sheikh uh, 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 Abdullah ibn Abbas said, that is the sunnah. That's the, the sunnah. That doesn't mean that's recommended. That's the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Those who are part of the tarbiyah programs, the Umrah one, Hajj one, you see, this, you see us do this very specifically where? When we go to Mecca. You know where Ibn Abbas was asked this question? When he was in Mecca. He was asked this question when he was in Mecca and the people came for Umrah and they, uh, they were Musafir because they'd come for Umrah 
But Ibn Abbas was the one who is uh, obviously the imam of the area and the like. And they asked him this question, when we pray with you, is it right that we should pray full? But if we pray by ourselves, we'll pray then the, the twos and the twos. And he goes, that's the, the way of the Prophet Sallallahu And that's what we do. We are, uh, the, the way that we uh, delay our arrival into Mecca is to try to maximize the rewards of the prayers. Minimize what we pray on the way. Yeah. Maximize by praying the obligatory prayers in Medina to get the reward of Masjid Nabawi. And then delay then the Maghrib and Isha until we get to the actual Masjid Al-Haram, if it's possible. And then we will establish our own Jama'ah after Salatul Isha has already been prayed. And we will go into the Haram and we will pray three and we will pray two. Whereas if we'd come a little bit earlier, we'll be praying three and we'll be praying four. But we consider our reward to be the same as the reward, even though we prayed two less. And that's what Ibn Abbas said is the Sunnah, meaning that's the way of the Prophet then he goes, but as for the fuqaha, the jurists, and they use it differently. It means, That the one who does the act gets rewarded for it, but the one who leaves that act does not get punished for it. That's the definition of sunnah or mustahab or the recommended act. Wajib is the one who gets rewarded for doing it, gets punished for leaving it. Haram is the one who gets rewarded for leaving it and punished for doing it. Yeah? And the one who gets makru, the, the makru definition is the one who gets rewarded for leaving it, doesn't get punished for doing it. And the, one, and the fifth one, which is mubah, permissibility, neither punished, neither uh, rewarded for doing it. It's just a free act, a nothing act. Unless you use the power of intention and you turn that permissible act into something which is useful. Which is, of course, relevant today, right? Because... A lot of people speak about the kind of things uh, uh, that we've got. We, we can't do anything. We're powerless, blah, blah, blah. All this, you know, uh, Israeli lobbies, blah, blah, blah. Um, and when you, when you want to understand the power of Niyyah in the Mubah Act, um, you're, you're really talking about politics and strategy. And politics and strategy is what kind of transforms the area of the... The, the area of al-ibaha of the mubahat actions for example protest yeah or boycotting boycotting is a good example so although maybe boycotting kind of maybe anyway boycotting is a bit arguable there could be some little bit of evidence that might suggest that it might be a recommended act but my heart is not feel comfortable with that I believe that it's a permissible act right but if you're seeing, for example, very targeted, very clear uh, results, pressure, uh, you know, all the rest of it, and you have that intention to, you know, I'm going to boycott blah-de-blah -blah or boycott blah-de-blah, -blah, then I believe that it's a person will be rewarded for it, regardless of, of you know, what happens. But, but, but again, this is, it is important to remember this is a matter of politics. This can't be made qat'i. And that's what the that's the that's the problem when the activists start throwing, you know, these phrases around. Activists have no space in this area to talk about the, the religion. Give us some good ideas. Don't tell us that you are eating haram, drinking haram, you know, all this kind of stupidity. Just sit right down and just tell us what you think is a good thing. You don't tell us that what Allah made halal is haram and what you know, this kind of stuff. It's important. 
But they have good intentions, of course, but that's when they get carried away. Boycotting and the strategies behind it and who to support and who not to support. So boycotting is an easy example. Political lobbying, for example. Political donations, for example, to, to parties, right? I mean, you know, I'd rather gouge my eyes out than to ever say anything positive about Labour ever again in my lifetime, right? But that's emotive thinking. If I'm thinking long term, I, you know, right now I might not be given some money or anything like that. But, you know, in one or two years' time, if they're the only real choice against someone who's like, wants us really... Like every, every time that you want to, you know, you want to throw Labour into the into flipping whatever, that's Khanzira Braverman. When she opens her mouth, you think, you know, I'm being too harsh on bloody Labour. Because she's the Khanzira of all the Khanazir, yeah? So that's why this is a matter of ishtihad, politics. You can't make these, uh, these issues qat'i. You can't make them definitive. Impossible. You get what I'm saying? So... Uh, protests, for example. Protests, you know, I was one of, one, with one of my very, very close, oldest good friends yesterday. We had this discussion when seen in London. And um, we were speaking about strategies involved in lots of big things and lots of, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he was talking about protests and he said something which I really liked, which I don't hear enough of, which is super obvious. And that is that protest has never been an Islamic concept, ever. Protesting, unless someone proves me very wrong historically, but I don't think that people will be able to. But protesting has been more a tool of a system that we've become used to. Without democracy, the concept of a, the protest means, means nothing. Yani, I want to say that uh, we, 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 are, we are a theocracy. We believe in a theocratic model. Right? Um, we don't believe in, you know, all of you could, I mean, if I'm the Khalifa, I couldn't care less what all of you think. All of you stand up and, you know, shout and prance about, I'll get you all killed. And there's not a single blame upon me because you are all going against the Imam. You're all going against the Khalifa. You're all going against the authority. It's a very different thing. Now, that's obviously a massive. No, no, for weak Muslims or liberal Muslims or activists, they like, what, what the hell is going on here, right? But that's because they don't know about our siyasa sharia, they don't know about our politics. But anyway, the point is that that's the model we believe in. And it's the model which is the khilafah, and it's the model which is the only successful way of fixing all the world's problems, to get the biggest factor that's ruining the world out of it, which is people's stupid opinions, people thinking too much, speaking too much, Right? And so once me, myself, and I has been removed and it's all about Allah, Allah, and Allah, the game is saved and the situation will be, justice will be back. Therefore, protest and arrest is an expression of a system that needs it to exist to be able to justify the existence of that system. That's why you saw the big, you know, obviously this weekend with the big uh, uh, protests that have been um, planned the now the police are in a complete muddle trying to work out how to ban something which they know that they can't because it will completely undermine the fake premise that they are actually even there in the first place the conservatives obviously couldn't give them monkeys right but they know that everybody else will not allow something like that to happen because it undermines their own zulm undermines their position right so they can't ban it 
So they're in that catch-22 situation. I just want to make it clear, the reason I'm saying this point, is so that you realize that protest has nothing to do with Islam. Nothing. All right. It could then be argued that those people who say that it is showing something, blah de blah, even it could be argued that it achieves nothing either. Doesn't, it hasn't got any political blah de blah this, that, whatever. And so I don't know of a better example than a permissible act or makru act maybe than protesting. Makru if it's got haram aspects, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, maybe some haram stuff that goes in or whatever. But let's just say it's all healthy and halal and good and whatever. Then let's keep it at mubah. If it could be proven to you that the people who are in a war zone, who feel that they've been abandoned and feel that they've been forgotten and feel that nobody's there for them, and they see these people who are in a different country and a different thing in the country that is the one that is actually uh, attacking us and supplying the weapons and this and that, whatever. And they see the people protesting, not in our name. We won't have it. Our brothers, our sisters. You're telling me that doesn't give them a little buzz? You're telling me that doesn't give them a little bit of a boost? You tell them that that doesn't make them feel like, you know, there is some kind of ummah. Yeah, this is rubbish. They're weak, but that's what they could do. SubhanAllah, uh, I don't know if you remember in, um, obviously I remember this, but I don't consume much media, so I can't know about these modern times. But I remember 9-11. After 9-11, when everything went upside down, um, I'm almost positive that a website was set up by Americans called Not In Our Name. Is it? Yeah, that's the one. So I remember when that started. I remember the first day that it was created. It's not in our name, not in my name, whatever, whatnot. And they, they, they'd hold up placards and they would, they would say not in our name. And it was like a big campaign. It's like that Humans of New York kind of thing, where it's just pictures of people. And they're the most random people. And they've just got not in our name, not in our name. And it was when they were bombing Afghanistan, bombing thingy, all the, all the attacks on Muslims everywhere, whatever, whatnot. I remember, as someone, I mean, I'm not under threat at all in any kind of way, but I remember, because obviously I'd give khutbahs more and all that kind of stuff, I was younger then as well, and, you know, very hard rhetoric against the Americans and against the kuffar and against systems, that that campaign softened my own tone. Like me, it had an impact upon me that I can't be saying destroy every single one of them. I actually felt, you know what, it's not right. We know that. And when we, you know, and obviously the Kuffar want us to try to blame all the Jews, right? They want us to be, so they can then label us as anti-Semites, right? The truth is, is that even if we wanted to, we can't. Because actually the people who are doing the biggest damage are the Jewish actual anti-Zionists right now. Those that are Holocaust survivors, the professors, the academics, the human rights uh, organizations. They're the ones that are doing the major damage to Israel right now. They're the ones that are the biggest pain to America, Israel, and the UK. They're like a big thorn in their side. Not the Muslims, right? And so you realize that when people protest, you might not think that it has a financial or political or military benefit, although it could be argued that you know, those that are blocking the doors to our munition uh, factories or those that are you know, threatening someone that you're being kicked out, 
yeah, we're not, you're not getting voted for, whatever. It could be argued. But at the very least, it does leave a, a point in your mind that, you know what, you know, people aren't the same. There are good people out there. And the Muslims are the same. When they see their brothers and sisters, you know, protesting, it matters. That doesn't, I don't think that that makes uh, protests a good thing per se or Islamic at all. But I think that intention matters a lot when it comes to the permissible matters. I think it's important to remember that, that the permissible area is a, is a they used to say, right? They used to say that the, that the Muslims are all the same. But where the, the real, uh, the people take it up to the next level are those that allow their, um, those who have mastered their intention and they basically reap it in the permissible areas. Right? Because every Muslim can pray to Hajjul all night and read Quran all day and fast every you know, couple of days. Everybody can do that. So how to differentiate between the top levels and the basic, mediocre and the average is those that have got the ability to, as the Salaf used to say, yani, my, take my, make my sleep like my prayer. Because they never go to sleep except that they give it a function. That I'm not going to sleep because I'm tired. I'm going to sleep because I need to get at least three hours so I can then pray. For example. Or I need to be in top shape for the work tomorrow so that I feel like I've done halal work. It's very little changes, micro changes in the, in the thought process, but it's where you clean up. Niyya is so, so, so important. Anyway, um, so then Sheikh says, he goes, so as for our author, he said that it is sunnah to shorten the four unit prayer. And this is a, uh, 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 when he says sunnah, then uh, the, our author, then he means that this is something that a person is rewarded for. All right. What are the four unit prayers? Dhuhr, Asr and Salatul Isha. What are the evidences for this? The book of Allah, the sunnah of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the consensus of the ummah. The three key evidences. As for the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بَعْدَ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَإِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَنْ تَقْصُرُوا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ إِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَنْ يَفْتِنَكُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا In Surah Al-Nisa, verse 101, and when you set out into the land, then there is no issue for you to shorten, there's no problem if you shorten your prayer, if you fear that some of the people, the kuffar will put you to trial. And give you a headache. Yeah? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala When Allah says that there's no blame upon you, this phrase comes quite a bit. For example, um, when we are about to perform sa'i, what do we say? In there is no blame. So that, that the Safa and Marwa are from the, the two signs of Allah, the two rituals of Allah. And so whoever visits the house for the Hajj or is performing the Umrah, then there is no issue for them to go between them. No issue. No blame upon them. Now, You've got a way of reading that. If you say no blame, no blame, it's not exactly praising the issue. Do you know what I mean? Like you're about to come to do sa'i and you're all buzzed and it's going to be a great moment. And the motivating factor is, is that, yeah, you know what? 
I'm not going to hold you accountable if you do it. You'll be like, wow, what's wrong with it? You know what I'm saying? The language indicates that. And likewise, when you go out into the land, there's no blame upon you to shorten the prayer. You'll be thinking, gosh, man, I need like proper reasons to shorten the prayer. The language would indicate that. And Sheikh Uthameen comments and he says that this is not what Laysa alaykum junahun, there's no blame upon you. That's not what it means. He said it means intifa'ul mani'. He goes, anything that could possibly have been a barrier to you during the act, it's not existent. Meaning, go ahead. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. Uh, and so then what happens is that you then go, when, you, when there's, no, there's no barrier to you. There's nothing, prohibit, there's nothing preventing you. So you can almost say that if you go out, into, you, could, you could translate it as, if you go out into the land, there's nothing preventing you from shortening the prayer. The mood has changed now, isn't it? Then there's no blame upon you if you, yeah? If I say to you that, and then when you get Safa Marwa, there's nothing preventing you making the journey between, back and forth. Different to saying there's no blame upon you, and so on. And by the way, you know because the Muslim, you know that a lot of the actions of Hajj, I remember SubhanAllah this year, was it this year or 19? I, uh, I, I made it a part of my uh, uh, Arafah talk, my Arafah address. And I said that the, uh, what's amazing, subhanAllah, about the act of Hajj, and Umrah to a lesser degree, but Hajj especially, is that it's almost entirely taken from the mushrikeen. It's crazy. Like the whole thing. The Kaaba itself, of course. The Kaaba was also the, worshipped by the, the Kuffar Mushrikeen. They just stacked it full of their own stuff. They used to make Tawaf as well. They used to do the Tawaf between Safa and Marwa. They used to go to Arafah. They used to go to Muzdalifah. They, all this is from them. Right? But what's amazing is that when you see what the Prophet ﷺ did, in every aspect he tweaks it. So that Never will we be then told that we are copying them or doing the shirk, that them purifying each part. But the structure remains. And so the Muslims, they were really hesitant when they saw like two hills and nothing there. Just like Umar was really hesitant to do what? To kiss the black stone, right? He's like, I mean, everything about this whole process is proper kufr shirk behavior. I mean, who touches a black stone? Who touches a stone anyway? Who gives a stone that power? And then he says, yeah, well, if it wasn't for the fact that I saw my, my messenger do it, I wouldn't have done it. And so they looked at this and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, there's absolutely no issue with you doing this. Because you're not copying the mushrikeen, you're actually doing the action of Hajar. Um, so, um, yeah. So then to finish... So then, so what Sheikh says is that once we've taken, in the language, we've taken out the, 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 the barrier or the mani, then the issue now becomes default. And what is the default? Right? So now that we've taken out the preventing uh, factor, we take it back to default position. What is the, the default? We look at the evidences. What do the evidences suggest? That the Prophet ﷺ, that whenever he would travel, he would pray, Two units. This is narrated by Bukhari, hadith number 1102. And it has not been preserved. Look at this. 
from the Prophet ﷺ whatsoever, ever that he prayed for units on a journey. Never. Never. Okay? Rather, in every single one of his journeys, whether it was long or short, we only see that he prayed two units. So that's the Quran evidence is the first. The Sunnah evidence is the second one I just mentioned, Bukhari. And the third is the Ijma' of the Muslims. This is something that Sheikh says is known in this religion by necessity. Ma'lum bid-durura. As Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, look at this statement. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. He said that I accompanied the Messenger of Allah sallallahu in the journeys and he never increased upon two units of prayer until Allah took him. And then I accompanied Abu Bakr and he never increased upon two units until Allah took him. And then I accompanied Umar and he never increased upon two units until Allah took him. And then I accompanied Uthman and he never increased upon two units until Allah took him. Again narrated by Imam Al-Bukhari 1102 and 689. Now here's the interesting part. Sheikh says, well he goes somewhere else actually, he goes that there's some issues to be said about the, the uh, actually I don't know whether we're going to, we've already gone time, but I just want to put that the statement of Abdullah bin Umar is problematic. Because I'll tell you that Uthman actually increased upon the two and he prayed four and there's a consensus on the fact that he did that. Our excuse for Abdullah bin Umar will be that maybe he didn't accompany him in that journey. Where did he do that? Hajj. Well done, Shazad Saleem. Yeah, Shaz's on it. Yara. You think he's not? Did you see that he was sitting there and just went, Hajj. Gangster, yara. There are levels to this game. All right, I think we'll quote it. I could feel the negative energy coming from Shaz. You know, I get nervous like that, yara. I know that the hour went and he was like, what's going on here? Right, we've got questions. What are we saying? What questions do we have? We had a, a, a hurricane. That's my guy, Asif, from Hajj. We had a hurricane-related power outage last year. So our family camped at a friend's house for two to three days until the power was restored. We were barely one, two miles from home. But we were camped there with our bags and all essentials for two to three days. Based on what we discussed today, it seems that we could be considered Musafir. No, I, I don't think that's the case because I still think it's part of where you are. It's your kind of town, right? One to two miles, I think it's too, um, it's too close. I think it's got to be outside of the town, outside of the village, outside of your thinking. It still might be a couple of miles, but it's got to be outside. But if it's like, you know, I don't think, uh, uh, I don't think that's good. Uh, Heba asks, um, would you recommend a five-month-old and a six-year-old have the meningitis ACWY vaccine? As, guideline, as guidelines are a bit inconsistent, kids are already up to date with childhood vaccines. Um, yeah, um, personally, I would. ACWY, yeah. ACWY, yes. Flu, I have to tell you that personally, I wouldn't. But if they're good, strong and healthy or whatever, any kind of health problems though, Absolutely. Elderly should really be taking flu seriously, by the way. If you've got elderly parents and stuff like that, make sure that they don't miss out on flu and pneumonia. It is important. They really are important. Any kind of weakness, uh, then uh, it can really get in and cause damage. 
asked if I had zero doubt that you didn't do qasr. Yep. How long being in a location did you stay there? Next week. Uh, or, maybe, or maybe the week after. Is it a good idea to make dua after the fard prayer? I think it's okay. But it's not something which was an action of the Prophet Asthmatic kids definitely would, would be requiring that. That is definitely a, uh, 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 an indicating uh, thing. At the back, yeah. Okay, go ahead, bro. No, I didn't say that, but I said that I could be challenged historically, but I don't think that it is an Islamic principle. Like Islamic principle, like. Um, well, when Osman was uh, on the first round of the trials, did he say that all five of us protest or was he? But that would be a that, that would be a negative anyway. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let it be. Yeah. He didn't do anything. I mean, we know the whole book. Yeah, but we know, but we know why he didn't do anything. Yes. Yes. Even uh, uh, what if I tell you that even if he had given statements and said that this is good, that his statement would be rejected because there's a consensus. You can't rebel against. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But I. But my point is, is that if we were trying to establish his action as an evidence. Right? The fact that he let it take place, mm -hmm. we'd have to, before we use that as an evidence, have to answer how is it that there's a consensus that it's not allowed to go up against the uh, ruler. Now, here's the thing if the system itself, and I think it's important that we, we, we separate between two things. When we talk about the word protest, yeah? And we're saying that it's completely un-Islamic, whatever we're talking within the Islamic Khilafah and the legitimate Yani scenario. Alright? When you look at Egypt, for example, or no, not Egypt, let's go with Libya. Yeah. Um, Egypt as well. These two countries, their constitutions are based upon revolution. By definition, their constitution celebrates revolution and protest. And gathering. That's the fantastic irony of them cracking down upon people that are protesting. That's why Rabaa was as outrageous as it was, even though actually, Islamically, there would be no justification for it. But they disqualified themselves when they abandoned Islam as a as a that's that's the, 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 the move here. They abandoned themselves, they abandoned that whole principle, and they said that this is a secular democratic revolutionary government constitution all right then well then we'll get on the streets then because you know if you're saying you're taking islam out of it we'll take islam out of it as well and that's how they went obviously it went to different places but yeah go on you were saying yeah About the Crusades. About the Crusades. Yeah. And uh, it took somebody 
basically protests to bring attention to the cause. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so if you, then let's take that example. This only proves my point, right? This only, this only supports my point, which is that this is not an Islamic principle. The Khilafa will be held accountable, the Khalif will be held accountable by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reason that the Prophet sallallahu said that the just rulers will be on the, the right of Allah upon mm -hmm. thrones of light is because it is the most impossible position. You take that responsibility. It's just you need to be aware of every aspect of the ummah. And when you are not, you are not their representative and you have failed them and you have failed Allah and you are going to be in trouble. But the one who pulls it off is just on a different level. But people won't get to that level. This is his failing. He gets his position. He gets the permission from Allah. Imagine. To do what he wants, punish how he wants, charge the people what he wants. Resources all in his hands, justify the spending and the budgets in all departments, and he didn't know about this. Complete failing. And it was left to civilians and XYZ to get the job done to remind him of his failing. And then, obviously, what happened happened. This would be the example here of a protest, even though it was a different environment, and that if we could see some achievable. Um, outcomes, for example. So yeah, I, I, what I mean is that this is not justifying its Islamic principle, but it's, it's justifying its Islamic permissibility. Yeah, I think we need to define what protest is because protest is the time of protest and people put in a fitna and then they become a problem. Good point. That's also a very good point. What does actual protest mean even? People would always stand up and make a point. People would always remind others and the like. And that's what Because normally the word protest is all about creating instability and creating some insurrection and creating some kind of whatever. And that's the different, that's like that's taken out to a whole different level. Yeah. Against the wider power in a state of uh, shirk and so on and so forth, yes. But um, w w th this, is what I'm, this is what I'm trying to say, I'm, w that this is not an Islamic, uh, like you would not be allowed to do that if, the, uh, if that was a khilafah. Yani if like there was like, uh, I'll give you an example three other figures, very strong activists that came out in the Khilafah to the public and stood up and said that you must allow LGBTQ, whatever, blah de blah What do you think would happen to them? You know, so this, what the, what, what the companions did, praying openly, doing things openly, is against kufr, it's a jihad, that's a state of war, right? Pseudo war before it was officially announced, but that's what it was. It was resistance, and that's absolutely any yani, part of our deen. 
Yeah. Australia. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, it is for a person praying alone and congregation. It's all about who's leading. So if you're praying by yourself, you're leading yourself, right? And if you're leading others, then the rest behind you, as we're going to come to this, all right? Then depending upon what they are, if they're travelers, then they will pray too with you. And if they're not travelers, they will com complete the prayer. Um, just on the dua after the fard uh, salah, I thought there were a hadith that the Prophet used to make dua. Or is that reference to specific adhkar? Yeah, it's reference. See, when we say dua, I don't mean individual adhkar that are in the form of dua. When he's asking the question, he means literal formally, like what we see today. People, you know, putting their hands up and making specific dua. This is a permissible act and a permissible time. And even generally, it's a good thing because you put forward something good. Whenever you put something forward to Allah, you take something back, and that's dua. But it's when people think that this is a better time than other times, that's problematic. There's at least 10 off the top of your head times that are far, far better than making dua after the prayer and yet guaranteed that people will put the dua after the prayer at number one. And they won't even do any of the others like outside when it's raining or in the middle of the night or when they're traveling or whatever. Yeah. So this is going to, so, so this is going to become obviously, we're going to discuss this a lot. It's going to become, uh, we're going to discuss it I think next week and then the week after, because this is a difficult issue. Yeah, we're going to discuss it. Imran, yeah. Yeah, uh, just a, a question. Um, on recent travels in the Middle East, um, you know, when you're in a shopping mall or they have like prayer rooms, and there's multiple jamaats, so it's not like a set timetable like this. Yeah. The Azan goes off. Usually a pre-recorded yeah. message. Uh, you you find the nearest prayer room. Yeah. And you can see people because there's a mass going on. Yeah. And there's people waiting behind for the next jamaat, so to speak, and then behind for the next jamaat. So it's a continuous jamaat every 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Because of space. Sorry. Because of space. Yeah, there's lots and lots of people. No, because of lack of space. You mean? No, 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 no. What they're waiting for then? So I'm not, I'm not sure. But because what you're describing we've all seen and experienced, mm. is because the, the tiny musalla is completely packed and we have to wait for all of them to come out mm. so we can establish a second one. That's the normative one, but what one are you forming, uh, describing? What kind of scenario are you describing? There's a, a prayer that's already started. Right. So when I come in... Bigger area, open, lots of yeah, space. Yeah. And, and I, they're I, praying I, already. I yeah. Uh, but then as soon as I finish, I see another jamaat starting afterwards. So whether they're waiting for that one... Well, they're all really late. Yeah. Um, but what the question I wanted to ask was, if I'm a traveller, yes. is it better for me to join one of the jamaat or to do my individual... Oh, no, it's always always better to join a jamaat. Mm. And not only always join a jamaat, but you don't need to worry about what they're doing. Mm. One thing that you should never do, especially when you're travelling, is ever look to what anyone else is doing. Most of the time, they have no idea what they're doing. Mo the blind leading the blind. Honestly, Hajj and Umrah completely don't even look to your left or right at any people. They've got the world's gathering of the most ignorant people on the planet. 
You just got to ignore everything. They have no idea. They because they are all looking around and trying to copy everybody else. You cannot be that guy. And the same is in the mall musallas. The majority of them haven't got a clue. So don't be waiting for people who are waiting around and they pray by themselves and this and that, whatever. You should be super focused. As soon as you see a jama'ah, you join them. You don't need to ask them, what were you praying? What are you going to pray? This, that, whatever. Nothing. Jama'ah. I know that I need to pray my Asr two raka'ah, that's all I'm praying. I need to pray my two Dhuhr, that's all I'm praying. Good luck to you, I'm getting what I came for, that's it. Allah alam, yeah. So you say you see something in that situation, you join the Jama'ah, but you join it late. Yeah. Do you... As a Musafir. As a musafir. Th that's coming as well. That's coming, yeah. Um, Madam says, I see the protests as now as being about making a statement of objection to the status quo as well as a statement of support for the cause. And I think, yeah, I think that matters. Um, Islamic schools that have masajid teachers line up the students at Salah time on the female side. It is absolute chaos. These are not necessarily very young kids, but they are school kids and rows upon rows full of them. Suddenly, leaving massive gaps and just, oh, they, they, they just walk out, yeah, and, they just, and just giggling throughout. What would be a practical advice for helping them join Salah by making sure female Salah is not compromised due to the soft situation? You are definitely asking the wrong person. Because I would never let that kind of behavior happen. I would smack the life out of those girls. Yeah, so don't ask me those kind of questions. Bro. Don't ask me things you don't want to hear. What is the Sharia position on not paying taxes to this country who are using it against Muslims? To not ask me that live on thing. That's the Sharia position. How does, the obligation to, how does the obligation to prayer in the masjid, which we discussed last year, tie in with traveling? As a traveler should be praying in a masjid, so we'll, be likely, so we'll likely pray full salah with the jama'ah. Yes, if the traveling is not getting you in the way of the journey. So if a person is in an area where they're hanging around, then they should attend the prayer. Uh, is there anything, and, and if you don't pray the, the, the traveler prayer, then it's absolutely fine. And we'll we come to that next week as well, or the week after. Is there anything wrong with calling someone whose name is Abdul Jabbar by just Abdul? Yes, I really hate it. I really, really, really hate that. Um, is it haram? No, I don't think it's haram, but it's weird. Yeah, I know that all the kufs say Abdul, but I mean, I don't know why Muslims say it. We've got to stop saying it. I and mean, I've never, ever called a person or uh, when I've been in any kind of position of formality or as a manager or as a pharmacist or whatever I see Abdul I will never call him Abdul that's such an insult and most of the time they don't know either you got to educate them so I will look at the full name I'll say Abdul Rahman or Abdul Alim or whatever and you know and I'll tell them normally as well don't know people call you Abdul bro right yeah Yep. Yes. Yes. It's, if, if you're praying Nafal prayer and someone joins you and for their obligatory prayer, it's allowed for you to uh, raise your voice and let them join you. It's allowed. The opposite as well, yes. The opposite as well. Shumaya, yeah. Yeah. Because of not being sure that they had to pray or because they were not practicing? Oh no, that's a different thing. 
The question about non-practicing people? Go on. That's what I was saying, yeah. The question about not practicing and uh, people not having prayed for years and having uh, thousands of prayers, whatever. Uh, my position is that there is no making up of that prayer. And they have to make tawbah for that. They have to compensate for it by praying lots of nafal prayers. The four imams, however, obligate that all of those prayers need to be made up. But I don't hold that to be the, the correct position. Allahu alam. Um, according to the majority, yes. And I have no basis to differentiate between the two. Okay? But I just don't feel as comfortable with the leaving of the fasting. But I also believe the same for the fasting is, is acceptable. For a person, they've lost opportunity and is gone. And they have to make toba for it. The safer position is the position of the majority where you'd make them up. But I, I you know, Allah alam. And finally, we'll do, uh, sorry, we'll just uh, ask uh, this. Uh, in the tashahud, when you make dua after uh, salawat uh, on the Prophet sallallahu is this limited to Quranic du'as or can this be any du'a in Arabic? Any, any du'a in Arabic. And also, Labib, you can also add something in English. I believe that in the sunnah prayers, this is okay. In obligatory prayers, I think you should avoid it. But absolutely, this is an open... In fact, the hadith of the Prophet said, the name ask for whatever he wants, meaning it's all, everything and anything goes. And then Simon says, I've seen people near the haram make uh, uh, touch random boulders on the road thinking they are somewhat religious. Right. The funny part was how the people were queuing up the touch and each person was more enthusiastic than the previous one. <laughs> At some point I questioned whether I'm missing something. Of course this was a random boulder to prevent cars from mounting the pavement. It always is. It always is. All right, we'll call it there, inshallah. Uh, yeah, yep, just one final one, yep. Yes. No, that's okay. That's, in fact, that's actually perfect. So when you got uh, Abdul Hakim, he's either got to be called Hakim, or Abdul Hakim, or Abdul Rahim, or Rahim. You know what I'm saying? Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha illa anta wa astaghfiruka Allahumma wa atubu ilaik wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.